the Data Nerd and the Data Nervous. I'm joined by my producer, Mr. Bryce Murphy. Hello, how's everybody doing? Bryce also wrote and recorded the podcast music. Today we also have another very special guest. She was with us last week. She's a colleague and friend and is much smarter than I am, much smarter than Bryce, as we were able to tell from last <laughs> week. So please welcome Dr. Zhaoning Zhang. Good to be here again. Yes, Zhaoning, as a reminder, is a biochemistry professor. So welcome to both Zhaoning and to Bryce. So, And Thank welcome you. back to our listeners. I'm glad you're back. This week, our theme, because every week we have a theme, this week's theme is COVID, infectious disease, and vaccines. And likely this is, we're recording this podcast all in one sitting, but we're going to be breaking this up so it's going to be more than one week. So we're going to start this week because this is a pretty heavy topic. So as you heard in the first two podcasts, we had a bit of a sense of humor about things. That won't be today. This is going to um, it be more than one part, as I noted, and it's going to be informational, probably not as much fun as we've had, and that's okay. So we're tackling some pretty heavy topics. Uh, Zhao Ning, as a note, two other colleagues and I wrote a series of editorials for our local paper early in the pandemic providing information and insight into the disease as well as the importance of wearing masks and taking other precautions. And if you want to take a look at those uh, articles, you can go to my other website, P.W. Hoffman, and Hoffman spelled with two N's, so P-W-H-O-F-F-M-A-N-N. Link also on Data Doyen, so you can take a look at those uh, editorials if you want to get more information. Now, as we get started, I'll note, Zhao Ning is from China, but she came to the U.S. in 2002, and at about January 2020, so January of last year, we were getting emails from her on our internal faculty and staff listserv, noting that there was some trouble brewing in the world, if you will, and she sounded the alarm well before we heard nationally about COVID. So first of all, I want to thank you for that, that you were uh, you know, bringing this to our attention so that we had some idea of what was coming. At the time, though, I don't know how many people took it as seriously, because I think in the beginning, there were still so many questions about it. But what were you seeing or hearing that made you share that info with us? Like, what kind of intel, if you will, were you getting that made you say, you guys, there's a there's something coming that's not okay? Yeah, so, well, bring our memory back to January 2020. Um, so that was a very much dramatic time. So in China, I think pretty much all Chinese use an online app called WeChat. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Um, is it like something we have? Is it like uh, it's, it's like is it like a, WhatsApp? Like it's like WhatsApp. Okay. It's app? like okay. WhatsApp, but then it has multifunction. So it's very commonly used in China. It has been for several years. So you can do messaging, group chat. You can do financial. Uh, a lot of transitions on there. Okay. So there are a lot of functions. I know like even when I went back to visit my family, uh, you know, a couple years ago, you can pay your bill with it. So, you know, every vendor will have their QR code and then you can just scan the QR code and then in app you can pay. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Just like so it's like multi, do everything on it. Yep. Yeah. Like, so it's very, very... Like a web browser <laughs> almost. Like it sounds app. like a... What we say WhatsApp? No, what's WhatsApp? WhatsApp yeah, is like WhatsApp. a message. It doesn't. It right. sounds like WhatsApp, so like WhatsApp like go, plus go, Venmo yeah. plus every, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, it's everything <laughs> all in one. Like if you want to go get some chives, you can scan the QR code because that little grandma will have the QR code for you. 
Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's really amazing. It sounds pretty cool. We should get that. I know. <laughs> and you have to teach American your man and I have to teach Pearl how to do yeah, that. Yeah, the American version of it. I know. Yeah. Okay. So you were, so there, so, there was, there was conversation there were chatters. The yeah, there were chatters out there. And of course, in January, not many people knew what's going on. And then nobody really knew, you know, what was the virus. In, in China, the, you mean, or just in everywhere China. in China? Okay. In China, because they start the hospitals in Wuhan just started receiving those um, very strange, um, you know, patients with those disease they cannot explain. So the doctors didn't know what was going on, and then they just saw those severe diseases, and people just dropped that, you know, all of a sudden, right? And then they didn't know if it was infectious until they started seeing, you know, people in the same location. They started getting sick one by one and then that raised a lot of uh, questions and of course they haven't isolated the virus at the time and uh, but we started seeing those kind of informations on WeChat um, not only just the public available publicly available information on WeChat that everybody can see or some other like from my friend group because in the friend group we have a group of us in uh, the United States like throughout the states in them but there are also quite a few of us uh, we so we were college classmates and then after you know sort of like a reunion online we can share information no, ma no matter where we are so that was very convenient and then those information started from those uh, group chats and then people started to say you know hey watch out there's something weird going on and then so if you go go to cities or like a in the crowds better wear masks and then you need to clean um it looks like it it can infect other people but not much was known at the time um, so it started like the the medical community was like talking within itself about mm -hmm. before it was like big right public national exactly because as we all have heard it was first discovered as a big issue in wuhan that's a pretty big city in china and uh, those doctors in in those, I think one hospital is exclusively, you know, a very much a hotspot. And then that hospital was not too far from the seafood market. It was the first claim to be found, right? And then they started to see people coming in more and more and more and more over time. And then so there were some doctors, they really concerned a lot. And then they started sending those kind of uh, warning out. But of course, there weren't a lot of solid evidence at the time because, you know, everybody was in the dark. Everybody was trying to figure out what it was. Right. And it was just like just developing. So they couldn't really, right. they didn't have all the data to conclude no, that it was what yeah. it identified. It was kind of like a mystery. Exactly. Unfolding. It was. Yeah. It was the beginning of the mystery. But just based on, yeah, I heard Daphne. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even hear it that time. That's funny. I, was I think Daphne more... might be up there. <laughs> We'll have to. Oh, she's definitely there. there. Unless she comes flying out at us and bites us, and we're infected by God. Anyway. Yeah. So, and then some, you know, experienced doctors from the hospital. They basically, you know, they started to sense this is serious, and then that's why they send out alarm, not you know publicly, uh, but through WeChat, or through their friend groups, and then that's when I started to hear it, and then later on, of course, there were very uh, rapid change. And then there were a lot more information from all sides coming to the to the time 
you know, Wuhan decided, okay, we're going to basically do lockdown because it was right before Chinese New Year. And then you've never been to China in that time. I can tell you Chinese New Year is the time the entire country, like 13 or 15 billions of people all move. They're all you imagine, partying. you imagine, yeah, yeah that's, that's it's like more than huge New Year's crowd. Eve in Times Square. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why the concern raised to a very different level. And then they decided to do lockdown because with that type of movement, there's no way you can contain, you know, if you really let it out freely. But of course, the lockdown, the news came out and then saying lockdown will take place maybe a few hours later or a day later. I can't remember right now. Um, but then just within that short amount of time, people heard it, they were in fear. And of course, as human, we all have that first response is escape. <laughs> and then that's what happened. A lot of people escaped before the lockdown. And then, and then that kind of defeated the purpose of the lockdown. Right. right. I would say that kind of defeated, but it's still better than not locking down because there would have been more people right. going out. So it kind of contained to some some extent, but still the people who got out, you were not able to contain. Now got out, you mean got out of Wuhan or got, got out, out of Wuhan? Of, okay. They left okay. Wuhan before okay. the lockdown yeah, was yeah. happening. And then they went to different places mm-hmm. and uh, basically went to their hometown. And then I think the majority of them were uh, close by at Wuhan area. So that's why you started to see the spread from Wuhan to the close by area. Mm-hmm. And then some were like more far away. They didn't get a lot of those movements from Wuhan. Also, I think by the time February comes in, people were more serious about this. So mm-hmm. they knew they knew it was caused by a virus and then the virus and then um, it's going to cause all those symptoms, although they didn't know how to cure it, but then they were aware of it. Right. So like my parents at the time, actually, they they heard some, but they didn't know how serious it was. So it was actually from me. I started to warn them, tell them, you know, you because my dad, I remember he didn't want to wear a mask when he went out. And I told him, you need to wear a mask. And this you was know. before there was the mandates was, or the lockdown. You think you were trying right. to warn him beforehand? Uh, no, it was after the lockdown. Oh, after the, the lockdown, lockdown was okay. was actually executed pretty quick. Yeah, it was okay. pretty quick. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, of course, when it became a order nationwide, and then that went very, very fast. And then mm. every small town, every small city, they have their own, uh, you know, strategy to prevent people from traveling. Some of those strategies, I wouldn't say they are, they were the best way, but they prevented further uh, spread mm-hmm. as much as they could. Yeah. So, but that was still February. So we in so United this, the States. the lockdown that was happening in, in China, yeah. the national lockdown before anything mm-hmm. in the United States. Right. Yeah. And then so, of course, at the time, there were also people leaving China, come to United States because travel was not banned at the time. And then so going to different places and then people from other countries coming to China, all these were happening still because people didn't know how serious it was. Right. And then that really leads to more of a pandemic model in the future. Yeah. Because people are traveling all over. And then I think, I'm trying to think in the timeline going back, this seems so long ago. It was a year. It was. But yeah, it seems so like well, a decade yeah, or because more. because so much has happened. Mm-hmm. To try to remember. And I think we then heard about a case, I think I want to say it was Seattle or somewhere on the West Coast, but then yeah. Italy. Italy had a, a huge lot more. outbreak. Yeah. Yeah. And then 
of course, you know, our governor Cuomo jumped into action, I guess. And, uh, you know, yeah, because New York City really blew up because of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think New York City was the first place that I remember hearing about it Mm -hmm. in the United States, unless maybe maybe it was Seattle was the first one. But New York City was the first time where it was like a spread. It was because the density of population. Yeah, Yeah, and that's why Seattle had a problem because it went into a nursing home community. Yeah. yeah, that's why there were a lot of deaths at the very beginning. That really scared everybody. Yeah, but then when I get to New York City situation, because the population density, and then the hospitals were overwhelmed, they just, they didn't know what to do, and then they didn't have the resource to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me, I will touch back on some of this, but can you explain what is COVID? I mean, mm-hmm. we know it's a virus, right? Yeah. What does that mean? Like, what is that? So, is it like a flu virus or like uh, is SARS a virus? I'm trying. I mean, I mean, so what are like what are examples? Like, what can we compare it to? Or nothing? Maybe we mm-hmm. can't compare it to anything. Oh, it is very much related to some of the viruses we we have heard of, or at least we have, um, you know, read about it. Um, so SARS would be a closer uh, relative of this COVID. Um, so COVID causing virus, because this COVID causing virus is actually named as SARS COVID two. Okay. So that's different from the SARS right, in two thousand three. Yeah, and the disease and the virus. There's a distinction there, right, in the medical yeah. community. Yeah, COVID is the name for the disease. The that's disease caused that's by caused by the, by the SARS two virus. Right. Right. So yeah. it's SARS two. So it's obviously it's related to the SARS virus. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is. Uh, so, you know, that's the funny thing. Scientists, you know, have a particular way to name their discoveries as one, two, three, four, five. Um, so, so... To keep track, sure. Yeah, I mean, to I keep track be, in all your yeah. order. Right, so, and then you talk about flu virus. Flu virus also, um, you know, it's a similar type of virus, but then all those different viruses, they they cause different degrees of damage in human body. For example, as we know, flu, seasonal flu, some people could die from seasonal flu every year, right? So that is already established. But the death rate um, is very, very low compared to, you know, the SARS-1 caused the disease as well as the SARS-CoV-2 caused the disease. I actually did look up some figures because mm-hmm. one of the things that, bothered me was that people thought it was well this is no worse than the flu and the flu kills more people mm-hmm. so i found out that's not true so i have some numbers let me um daphne's really very very active. Just getting angry yeah <laughs> yes so i went to the cdc the centers for disease control website and in the u.s in 2019-2020 there were between 39 and 56 million cases of the flu 18 to 26 million of those resulted in a visit to the doctor. 410,000 to 740,000 resulted in hospitalization. Only, I shouldn't say only, this is still a large number, but 24,000 to 62,000 people died of the flu. In the, this is in the U.S. There, it's estimated that over the past 10 years, there have been 322,000 deaths due to the flu. In the, this is just in the U.S. Now, if we take a look more worldwide, the Journal of Global Health um, and the World Health Organization estimate that the annual mortality of influenza is between 250 and 500,000 cases globally. Mm-hmm. So if you put it into a percentage, right, 
Oh, for sure. And thank you for bringing that up because that's something else that those numbers sound large. But when you think about that in terms of the population, and we'll talk about that. I've got some COVID data that I'll ask you about. I have a question about this. These ranges, I mean, these are estimates, obviously, mm -hmm. because I suppose there's no way to truly know how many. These ranges seem quite large to me. So when you're looking at between 250,000 and 500,000 deaths, that's a large... Can you explain a little bit how they estimate? Do you... Well, I mean, of course, I'm not part of the process. I wouldn't yeah. know how they estimate. But my understanding would be uh, when you talk about number of deaths related to a disease, you cannot possibly pinpoint to the cause of the death 100% in every cases, right? So, for example, uh, I have heard comments saying uh, some of the COVID-related deaths reported, they were actually caused by let's say, heart condition. But then how do you know if COVID actually induced the heart condition to the degree in the causing death or is just heart condition irrelevant of the COVID condition itself? Mm -hmm. right. So that's going to take a lot of time and effort to investigate before you can have a conclusion. But in the middle of pandemic, you just don't have the time to do it. Therefore, people would estimate Right. If someone has been diagnosed with COVID without being cured yet, and then somehow that person died, they could be just um, put into the estimate. Okay. And what I'll do is, because I didn't get the percentage of folks uh, who've died from the flu, I can put that on the blog post. So I'll look that up and see what percentage of the world population that is. I suspect mm -hmm. it's relatively low it would be my guess but not having done the math i don't want to say that 100 percent. but we'll talk about that but now let's can we talk about the flu pandemic actually let me do this because i did find some data about pandemics and just pandemics in general and as a note a pandemic is considered an epidemic that spreads beyond a country's borders and it's certainly something that's a communicable disease so uh they go back quite a bit so we have, one of the first I found was in, I won't read them all off. Brace is probably going to say, please don't give us more information than is required. But in Athens, in 430 BC, so this is a long time ago, there was a, a pandemic that was suspected to be typhoid. And we still have typhoid. I know I've gotten vaccinated against typhoid myself. In 165 AD, there's the Antonine Plague that was suspected to be smallpox. We have the bubonic plague then. Mm -hmm. Now, is do you what is bubonic plague? Is that a virus? Is that do we uh, actually? Have no I don't know. You don't know. I'm yeah, gonna I look that know. up. Yeah. I'm, maybe I'll write that. Down. I don't need to write it down. We're <laughs> recording. So we have bubonic plague showing up in 541 A.D. That killed 50 million people, which was at the time 26 percent of the world population. And then you had the Black Death again, which was a bubonic plague in 1350 that killed a third of the world mm -hmm. population. So this is hardly a new, I mean, we have, and then of course we have in 1492 when Columbus arrived, he brought with him smallpox, he and his crew brought smallpox, measles, and bubonic plague and killed a good portion of the Native American population at the time. You have cholera epidemics. You have another plague, then you have then you have the flu showing up. In 1889, we have the Russian flu, the 1918 flu pandemic, which was called the Spanish flu. So this isn't the first time we've named flus after the country. So mm -hmm. I don't like that we're calling this the China virus. That's not okay. It's mm -hmm. it, it certainly has a name. 2003, we had SARS. Well, 1981, we had the HIV AIDS, and, and HIV AIDS is still with us. Then we had H1N1, the swine flu. So we name our flus after, or our diseases after animals too, right? The avian flu, swine flu, 
We have Ebola. We had Zika. So th- this isn't new. So these are all pandemics that were, as you said from the definition, they started and then reached across countries' borders and spread. Right, yes. So are, are they all pandemic? Because in order to be pandemic, you have to go through kind of like spread around the world right, right? that's several that, continents that was my that would be and my that's, question and that's too. what and that's that's what i discovered because i said some of these pandemics. well there were some that i saw that were on the list that were just epidemics so they right. were controlled yeah, yeah. within their country for example no, these... sars one would be epidemic yeah it would not be a pandemic Although right or what about SARS the other, the other what one? source did you use hang on let me see what did i call here well, history.com, maybe that's not the best. <laughs> but they also had a bunch of other references on there that I can take a look. But so mm-hmm. SARS, I, I thought SARS was beyond just one country. No? It was, but then I don't think it's qualified as pandemic if you have more than one country only. Right, that would be my question. It's like right. pandemic means the whole world. You have pandemic. to really widespread. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because like, what if it was just something that happened in the U.S. and it spread to Canada? Would that be a pandemic? Because it yeah, crossed right, the right. country's borders. That, based on that definition, yeah, I wouldn't think so. Right. Yeah. We of course would call it that because we're we, we're so self-important. So we'd have to. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so we've certainly okay. We touched on this. Um, we've seen other COVID diseases and so on. So let's talk about some of the data too that I that I that you shared with all of us on campus, mm-hmm. the Johns Hopkins, and I'll have this reference on the Data Doyen website. The Johns Hopkins has Johns Hopkins has a very good like GIS that they put together. They've got maps and data mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff. It's excellent. And then you also shared with us the Worldometers that shows you can essentially go by country, the number of cases and deaths and so on. But what I like about that particularly is that it also shows the number of deaths per one million population. Right. So you're getting it you're quantifying it in a bit better way. So while the US leads in the number of deaths if you take a look at the number of deaths per population in, in terms of the pop- percentage of the population, we're not number one. Mm-hmm. So apparently, who's the, number one? Um, you know what? I want to say I looked really quickly. UK and Italy were were higher than us, but I want to say there were a couple of other countries even higher than that, and I don't remember. But I'll post that up on. Mm-hmm. I can put that on the site. But there you go. So we lead in the number of deaths, but not in the number per one million. So. I don't know if that's something to brag about. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think one thing we want to be aware of when you have such a um, infectious disease, they rely on human contact to spread. So that means in United States, especially outside of the big cities, the human contact is not as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So therefore, the population density matters a lot. And in places like in Wuhan, as I said, in January last year, it's a very, very dense place with a lot of people. That's why the spread can be so fast, right? Mm-hmm. But then if you think about like where you live right now, right, but barely you get in contact with others in the way you have been living in the past few months. And it's the same probably for me, except where I go to class, right? So that would be lower chance for us to get it. Doesn't mean we don't get it at all, because any contact could be possible source of uh, the, the transmission, but we have a lot lower chance. Right, even like somewhere out here in the rural area, New York mm-hmm. versus like in a city, you can go outside and not 
be in any contact with with any humans but right. if you live in new york city you're gonna if you walk outside you're there's people everywhere immediately. yeah there's not, you go to the grocery there's store there's no space there's no buffer between exactly you know you That's can't go for a walk down you, the street without yeah if you look at i think new york new york state once had a um a kind of study so they look at all the counties in New York State and then categorize them as high risk versus low risk based on the population density. New York City, of course, is number one. And then Cattaraugus County would be much lower in risk based on population density. However, if you look at the health status uh, of different populations across the state, we rank as a higher risk because we have a large percentage of our cataragus population that has those, um, you know, diseases. For example, diabetes, and then, um, you know, um, and then there are some other more obese. We probably have obese, heart, yeah, yeah, and then heart condition, and then also like a pulmonary disease, sure, asthma, oh, so COPD. Sure. Mm-hmm. So all those. Um, so based on the data we have collected, um, you know, doctors have collected um, from the past year, people have those preconditions, they tend to run higher risk of death when they got COVID. So that's why Cadaras County actually is labeled as high risk based on those preconditions. And Cattaraugus County is one of the counties in New York State where we happen to be and where our university is, where we're living right now. And uh, that's certainly the case. And that data you can get from census.gov as well. And that's where you can get all kinds of information about folks. It's And also, too, we're not that far from Buffalo, which is the second largest city in the state. Not certainly anywhere near as large as New York City, but... Um, you know, I think it's our affinity for pizza and chicken wings and beer and sausage <laughs> yeah. and so on. Bar, that's what bars being open till four a.m. Bars, <laughs> there you go. So that's not that's not helping us before at all. the pandemic anyway. Yeah, but you bring something up though too because I think what the pandemic has brought to the fore is okay. Some of these habits that we have, we have to perhaps we have to change. I mean, it scared me straight a little bit because I thought I might be one of the only people I tell people that I've lost weight during the pandemic. And they, they say, how the heck did you do that? <laughs> and I said, because I think I was in one of those high risk groups. I don't want, I mean, my goodness. Now that's no guarantee. If I get COVID, I could still, you know, not make it, but, um, you know, that just made me, it, it was like a wake up call mm-hmm. kind of, now I don't know that it was for everybody, but yeah, that's scary. It is, because when you think about in all the years we were living good life, we were healthy, uh, we were pretty much just carefree, right? Yeah. And then because you didn't think if you touch something, you'll get sick, or you touch someone, you hug someone, you'll get sick. You never thought about that, right? Uh, but we were taking our health uh, granted, you know, for granted, really. Because um, I grew up in China, and the the environment I grew up was not as clean, so-called, um, you know, as United States. You know, at least I grew up, um, my parents would never ask me to sit on the curb. They would never have me grab food without washing my hands. Right, so those are the habits I grew up with. And then, you know, even you get any vegetable fruits you from store, first thing you have to wash them at home before you eat them. Doesn't matter if they claim it has been cleaned or not, you still want to wash them. 
right? So those are the things I grew up with, and I don't see in the United States. What do you mean, sit on the curb? Like, like you wouldn't sit on the street or on the street on the curb. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm like, I didn't know you meant. Oh, I see. Okay, I didn't know what I didn't know what you meant by that. Yeah, literally, sit on the curb. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I I see this all the time here. Yeah, people would just do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we would never do that because we know it's not clean just because so many people passing by, even the, you know, the, the people who really clean the street, they worked really hard. But as soon as they clean it and then people come here and then bring all kinds of stuff, right? And then you never know what those people bring. And I had another question now. I've got a this, question just, because yeah. that, that some people, there's, there's this belief that like, being exposed to germs is, is good for your immune system. Mm-hmm. Or like sitting on the curb even would be good for your immune system. Or... Yeah, that that is in general a correct uh, kind of notion because you don't want to live in a sterile environment. Right, and that's also no. over overly sanitizing, disinfecting can also right. be an but issue. But that, that is under assumption wherever you touch don't have those harmful germs right right like the really exactly like on this tabletop or on the mug on my hand they're they're bacteria mm-hmm. but they're not harmful bacteria and then they help you to build the immune system just like if you think about when we were little baby just you know came to this world we were germ free at that moment as soon as we came out of your mother's body and then so we encounter all the germs outside Right, mm-hmm. and then so that help us to build the immune system. That's why little babies they tend to get sick, you know, when they were very little. But then over time they can get stronger because they started to get used to the environment. But you don't want them to encounter all the pathogens that can cause death because they are not up for it yet. Their body is not up for it. Yeah. So I think initially when we were, when we heard about COVID, we, it was, okay, if you're over a certain age and if you've got some of these comorbidities, that's a problem. But now we've, we're learning more about it and that isn't necessarily it because you hear about younger people who seem to be completely healthy mm-hmm. who then get COVID and then they die. So mm-hmm. what are we learning now? Like, what do we know now that we probably didn't know? Like what, it, what advice is there that you'd say, okay, this is what you need to, I don't want to say necessarily this is what you need to do, but boy. If I were, if I were able to be every different individual, what I would do, is that the type of question? Okay, sure. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Yeah. So if I were someone who's a, um, let's say an elder, but rather healthy elder without any substantial preconditions, right? So I would just be careful, you know, keep clean. Now, I wouldn't worry too much, right? I would still live my life without getting in the crowds too much and then just come home, wash hands, right? Because my parents do that. Um, they, you know, when they go for a walk or they go to market, they just still do all these things because that's part of their life. If they don't do, they will get mental health problem, right? They still have to live their life. But when they come home, first thing they wash hands, right? And then, um, especially, you know, my dad, he, he likes to eat seafood. And then seafood comes in frozen from all kinds of places that becomes a potential risk for carrying those uh, coronaviruses. So I told my dad, you know, when you get seafood, come home, first thing, wash hands. You know, so 
they already have a good habit of washing hands, mm-hmm. so they, they would just do that. And now he's wearing time. a mask because you've told him to wear the mask, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so when they're out there wearing their mask... When okay. they go to a more, um, like a building, those kind of places, uh, they wear masks. If they go to um, places there are other people around, they will wear masks. But if they are just go, go to the trail, have a walk, just by themselves, nobody around, they don't wear it. And mm-hmm. I have no problem with that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. What so, about some of the other groups then? But we're talking about the worst group, which are the elders with preconditions. So that means their their immune system is not, already not very strong to start with. Right. And then they tend to get very sick and then death rate is going to be highest for them. So for those I would say, you know, if I were them, I would just try to adapt more um kind of indoor environment don't go out a lot because if you go out you you start socialize with people um you know you have higher risk to um to basically depart from the world mm-hmm. right so that would be a suffering for themselves and also their family members right so uh, of course their mental health is also very important so that means the family member have to come up with creative ways to keep them you know in touch with the world right and then that means when they come visit those elders, they have to make sure they don't carry anything to bring to those um, people who tend to, you know, have highest risk, right? So that's the the higher end. So for the elders, and then for the more like a the middle age, right? And then in even we can include just from age of twenty, right, or age of eighteen to whatever, like. So in general. As people get older, their immune system started to go downhill, but then it's more like a kind of thing like a, you go up first as you grow up, and then you have a peak, then you started to go down, right? So that I think means, I'm over the peak. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <I think I'm... laughs> so you want to just be, in general, you want to uh, pay attention to the personal hygiene. That's That would be me. You know, I think... Overall, personal hygiene is the most important thing that we can do to prevent any regrets. Now, of course, wearing masks in public, that applies to, I think, any age group, as long Mm -hmm. as they don't cause any other problems for them, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that's the most convenient, and then really you don't need any high tech to do. Anybody can do. It's more of people need to be willing to do it. And then in terms of also some younger people, if they have preconditions, um, so that would also put them in a higher risk group. Then they tend to have higher uh, rate of deaths as well. Even you think you're in the age of 20 or 30, but if you have a precondition that can uh, lend you to, you know, not being able to breathe at the end. So that's still not something to joke about. Right. For little kids right now, I don't think there are a lot of lot of research done, so it's hard to tell, but it's more of, I think the concern is little kids, their behaviors are still trying to get shaped. So education or the family influence would be important. Uh, it's the same, tell them, you know, try to not to have direct contact, have wear masks and wash hands, all these would be, you know, universal, I would say, for any age group. Of course, for little infants, you can't really do anything with them. It's more parents have to make sure they are not get exposed. 
Now, we, do we have to worry? Because I know there were some, uh, there was some talk that there are some, some of our pets might get mm-hmm. COVID. Do we need to worry about our pets? <laughs> so that part, I think, is really, really not studied very much. Okay. <laughs> there were observations. There were observations. Mm-hmm. And then from what I've heard, um, I think they were able to come up with some kind of way to uh, cure those pets. Okay. Yeah. But we're not, we're, are we going to contract it from our pets? That part, I have no idea. That's okay. a very good question. And uh, my first instinct is it's not that easy. Uh, it will have to evolve some kind of large population of pets gets infected. And then some mm. mutation would have to rise in those virus infecting cats in order for us to get it. But also vice versa. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because I know there was some concern, I think, early on. Because, again, there were so many things that we didn't know. Right. And that we were just, I think in some cases, we were just guessing or just, you know, wow, mm-hmm. this could be. Could this could this yeah. happen? We're um, still guessing a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that's the character of science. It's always evolving. Our understanding evolves as we find more evidence. Thank you. And we talked about that last yeah. week, too. Or two weeks ago. Or three <laughs> weeks ago. We talked about that in the first podcast, that... You know, as new information comes, and mm-hmm. I said too, if I'm, if we're talking about something and we get new information after the fact, we'll update that because mm-hmm. that's what happens. It evolves, right. and we need to evolve with the science too. And actually, that's one of the things I, I don't know if I mentioned. One of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is because I was getting so bothered by this sort of lack of reason that people seem to have in this move away from science mm-hmm. that was troubling me and I thought no I want to make sure that we have these conversations so let's do you think will we have more pandemics yeah I think in the long run we cannot avoid that um I think what we can do is prevention learn from this one I mean learn we've seen the history one. we've certainly seen the history yeah. of the pandemic so we'll certainly have more learn from this one for sure okay. yeah I mean history can teach us a lot a lot of times we just didn't really um, you know, carry those lessons forward. Mm-hmm. Well, that will that will conclude this episode. This is part one of our conversation about COVID, infectious disease, and vaccines. We'll be back next week with part two. So thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to my producer, Bryce Murphy, who also wrote and recorded the show music. Thank you to Dr. Zhaoning Zhang for joining us today. And we'll see her again next week. Logo designed by Liam McGurl. For more information and to access the data discussed on this week's episode and to answer some of the questions that we brought up in this week's episode, visit datadoyen.com. Also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Links are on the website. If you like this podcast, tell all of your friends and have them tune in. Podcasts drop on Thursdays. All materials are available on the website by Tuesday of the same week ahead of the podcast. This podcast is a production of Ratchet Boy Records. Listen to Ratchet Salon on all streaming platforms everywhere you find music. This podcast is sponsored by Wild Mountain Botanicals, Tippy Homestead, The Sparkworks Studio, and Dog Nanny Originals. To sponsor, send me a message on the website. 